This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 136, and we are recording on June 12th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. What's up, Amanda? Stone cold chillin'. <laughs> nice as they nice. say as Who they says say that? I, don't know. I don't know you say it at the very Apparently. least um, cool cool uh so we this is normally the part of the show where we do our what are you reading thing but i'm not reading anything that's not for a podcast so and people get cranky apparently if we mention books across too many podcasts so instead i will tell you a story about my cat has that okay um, so I have two cats. I have a cranky cat and a nice cat. And I got a new desk chair recently because apparently the other one I had was bad for my back because old. And um, it's like lower to the ground than the other one is. So the cats have figured out that this means that they can theoretically sit in my lap while I'm working, which was previously not an option. It was too high up for them. Um, and so my cranky cat like climbed into my lap about half an hour ago and normally she'll stay for like five minutes and then go, but she's like apparently settled in for the duration and ah! she's, she like was giving my mic some roll side eye, but like she's not moving. So this could get interesting, but for the time being, um, this podcast is brought to you by Heidi, the crankiest of cranky cats. I so. also have my pet sidekick here with me Lola. always it's not a new development but yeah welcome well she's to not the... in your lap though right no she's not that she's would too be big for that she's 75 pounds <laughs> that would be a bad that would be bad mm. um, she does try to climb up into my desk chair every morning really usually when I'm yeah she thinks that she thinks she can fit and one day she's gonna make it <laughs> but instead she just ends up like pushing my chair has wheels so she just yeah. ends up pushing me around the living room oh my it's gosh a comedy of errors over here. that's amazing I mean it's good for her to have life goals right <laughs> like <laughs> get in mom's chair <laughs> <laughs> amazing uh all right well so that's we're just gonna leave it there yeah. um <laughs> so how this show works is that you send us questions about what you should read next or what your book club should read next or what you should get as a gift for your aunt or your uncle or your niece or your mom or your sister or whoever um or yourself fair uh and we will do our best to find you some book options you can send those requests either via the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site or you can send it to us at email it's getbooked at bookriot.com if you have a timeline for your question and you would like the answer by a certain date please do note that real big all caps at the very top of the form response or in the subject line of your email. Um, we do have more than a year's worth of questions that we're still working through. Um, and we don't always take them in chronological order. So we hop around a little bit, um, but we will attempt to get to them. If I think we're not going to get to them on air before the date, I will sometimes email responses so you can keep an eye out for those. Um, let's see. Oh, before we dive into our questions, a reminder that we are doing a $500 bookstore giveaway. Um, and you can enter through June 21st. It's bookriot.com slash bookstore 500. And the winner gets to get a $500 gift card to the bookstore of their choice. You get to pick. Very exciting. So definitely go and enter that. Again, that's bookriot.com slash bookstore 500. All right. So I'm going to read our first question, and Amanda is going to tell us about our first sponsor, and away we go. Uh, the first question is from Alicia, who says, I'm looking for a book uh, where the heroine has a disability. Excuse me, disability. I'm trying to find books where the person takes care of themselves, meaning they do not need someone to take care of them. I, I just do not like in some books that they make women with disabilities helpless. I want to find a woman empowerment-centered story that can give women in my community the knowledge that we can do anything good question all right mm -hmm. what's our first sponsor 
All right. Our first sponsor is Mira Books, publisher of one of the summer's must-read novels, Harry's Trees, which is by John Cohen. Uh, and in this book, Harry Crane is a 34-year-old, not a 34-year-old man, that's not a thing, a 34-year-old man who's lost his wife in an accident and he's completely unable to cope with this development. Um, so he becomes, you know, like determined to just lose himself. He turns to the remote woods of northeastern Pennsylvania uh, in like the, they're called the Endless Mountains, which I think is really nice. Um, and trees, which have always been really a big source of comfort to him in his life. Um, but before he can like get out into the, into the nowhere and leave the world behind, fate kind of intervenes in this really unexpected way, sending him on an unlikely journey where he encounters a strange and quirky group of characters, including a wise old librarian, always here for that, a grief-stricken widow, and a little girl who has an unwavering belief in fairy tales that will help them all find magic in their lives. So this is, as I'm sure you can tell, quite an uplifting tale and a reminder of the power of friendship in dark times and the enduring presence of goodness in the world. So go on out there and discover the magic of Harry's Trees by John Cohen, um, or you can download the audiobook. All right. I will keep going. Um, I picked for you a very entertaining science fiction novel called Ascension, which is the first book in the Tangled Accent series um, by Jacqueline Koyanagi, uh, excuse me. Um, and in this book, the main character's name is Alana. She's what they call a sky surgeon, so she repairs ships. Um, she's been living in poverty because she can't find like a steady job. She wants to get off of her planet. She wants to like become a sky surgeon to a ship, be like the onboard um, sky surgeon, not just run this kind of garage essentially which is what she's doing for ships that are have like limped into her planet and need repairs before they go off those are becoming fewer and fewer between so she is falling farther and farther into poverty she also has a chronic illness that leaves her in debilitating pain for a lot of you know her waking hours she has to take a very expensive medication in order to function but as i've said she is super poor so this is becoming harder and harder for her to manage um and then a crew uh, on a car vessel stops by her it's not they don't call it a garage in the book but i can't remember what they call it but like it's a spaceship garage they stop by her spaceship garage looking for her sister nova her sister is a spirit guide um and they need her in order to solve some of their like problems on the ship um but nova's not there nova and alana have a very complicated relationship they don't talk much she's not uh, she doesn't live with her she's not there um and so the, the the crew gets ready to leave but alana decides she's going to stow away she's going to sneak on board this ship reveal herself once they're in space and it's too late for them to kick her off um and then hopefully they'll give her a job and she can have a steady source of income for her medication and also maybe pursue a cure um, they do find her, and events do not necessarily unfold in the way that Alana wants. There is a tangled um, plot with the the captain of the ship, who is a very cute, tall, blonde lady that Alana becomes very interested in. Um, one of the, the like the chief engineer is maybe a wolf. The the um, what do you call it? The pilot of the ship fades in and out of existence the farther they travel, and then so a big like big secret reveals itself that I'm not going to tell you. But this is very like found family. Um, Alana's disability is a major plot point, and it um, directs a great amount of her decision-making in the book. Um, and, and it's it's nice that they intersect it with her disability, but also her poverty. So, like, she's making all, almost all the decisions that she makes based on managing one or two or both of those things. So she is definitely, like, a heroine who does not, you know, she doesn't... She's not out here, like, looking to be cared for. She's, like, looking for a job so that she can better her life. Um, she's a really, really great character. So that's Ascension by Jacqueline Koyanagi. Cosine. Love that book. Um, I picked a romance for you. It's The Friend with Benefits Zone by Laura Brown. <laughs> I know. This title, y'all, I almost did not read the book. Oh, update. Kat has left. She does not appreciate <laughs> my hand gestures, apparently, Bye, while I'm talking. <laughs> Bye, Heidi. Um, okay, so yes, but I almost didn't read this because, you know, the friend zone is like not a real thing in the way that it is often portrayed in popular culture and I get super annoyed by it but I, it's like a you know romance titles are often punny in some way and once I got into the book I was like all right I'll allow it um this <laughs> is about two friends as you might guess um Jasmine and Devin and Jasmine is deaf and Devin is hard of hearing and Laura Brown who's the author is also part of the deaf hard of hearing community so it's an own voices book um 
and she is working as a waitress, um, and she is has hit a super rough spot. Like, she goes out on a bad date and gets home to find she's being evicted from her crummy apartment and, like, has no resources and is just like, ugh, like, ugh. But not in, like, a way that's anything to do with her disability, and it's just like that. Like, she's, a, she's an early 20-something who's, like, struggling to find a viable life plan for herself, like so many of us have. Um, and so uh, Devin, who's been her best friend since they were in kindergarten, is like, you're going to come stay with me. And what's so interesting about Jazz is that she is very independent. And she's like, I don't need help from anybody. I'm going to figure out by myself. Like, it's fine. I don't need you. Of course, she does need people in the way that all of us need people. And so, like, the book is a lot about them, like, getting over this. Like, they're both afraid to ruin their friendship, even though they're both very attracted to each other. And you get alternating first-person POV for both of them, so you know exactly what they're thinking. Um but, like, so it's about them overcoming that, you know, fear of that very real fear of, like, oh, but, like, he's my best friend. Like, what happens if this goes wrong and we don't survive it? Um, and then also her, like, learning that, you know, sometimes, like, having a support system, like, having a support system is not the same as being dependent on somebody. And nobody ever suggests that she, like, needs more help than any other person. Like, she is perfectly capable. She just also, like, none of us can do it alone. Like, we all need friends to look out for us sometimes. And, like, that's just the thing that she has to come to terms with. And I love that because that's a plot that's, like, super normal in New Adult. Like, I've read that plot lots of times. It has nothing to do with her deafness. However, the story is so informed by just, like, what living with deafness or hard of hearing it like is like. Um, and for, as as a hearing reader, that was super cool to see on the page because that's not something I've ever seen portrayed in this particular way before. So I'm a big fan. Um, and again, that is Friend with Benefits Zone by Laura Brown. <laughs> and Never it's like got funny. parentheses around <laughs> it. I know. It's, it's, it's cute. It's cute. All right. Question two is from Sherry, who says, I'm going on vacation and likely won't have a ton of time to read. I'm looking for some graphic novels or comics I can bring with me for those moments where I could sneak in a few mini minutes of reading. I love, love, love Saga, but I'm having a hard time finding other graphic novels or comics that give me the same feelings and can hold my interest. I've tried Monstrous and Miss Marvel and found they were okay, but not really my thing. I'm newish to the genre, so I haven't read a whole lot. I'm thinking maybe something fantasy related as I love to read in that genre, but it isn't a necessity. Okay, fantasy. Um, I went with Pretty Deadly. Uh, the, vo the first volume is called The Shrike, and it's just like Saga where it comes out in single issues, but it's also collected in graphic novels, so you can just start with volume one. Um, it's by Kelly Sue DeConnick, and the art is by Emma Rios. And this is a, like, spaghetti Western feminist fantasy mythological story told by a bunny. And a, yes. And a butterfly. <laughs> a dead bunny, like a bunny skeleton, if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. telling it to a butterfly. Um, so it is ostensibly the story of Death Face Ginny, who is the daughter of death. And she is in the West and she's like, you know, rides a skeleton horse and um, spends her days making retribution happen for various and sundry reasons, uh, which you do find out. I'm not like being dismissive. You find out what her reasons are for her violence in, in the comic. Um, but it's also uh, mainly about a little girl named Sissy who becomes death. This is the story of how the personhood of death gets passed on from death face Jenny's father to this little girl. Why, how that happens, why she's chosen, uh, what leads up to that, all of that sorts of thing. Uh, and it takes place, you know, in the West in the, I, I, I'm always tempted to say the Victorian era as if like, because that is like chronologically correct, but not real because this is not England. But so it takes place in the West in, you know, the wild West era, the 1880s sort of, sort of time period. Um, and that, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> I don't know what else to say other than like Skeleton Bunny telling the story of how a little girl becomes death. So it has um, a lot of the same, not the same, but it has a lot of similar um, feelings, I think, to Saga with the found family stuff. Found, well, that's not even a found family. That is like a family of origin. Um, and there are family of origin elements in here, but it's like super complicated because like, what do you do if your dad is death? <laughs> and like how... How to father when you are death. Maybe you don't. Maybe you do. I don't know. Um, and they, you're following this like misfit band of people who come to love each other uh, despite very odd circumstances. Uh, and 
all of these like supernatural elements. I feel like the supernatural elements and all of the characters come in and out of the story to influence Death Face Jenny and to influence uh, Sissy's story are very much like the odd alien characters in Saga who like come in and out as the the daughter is telling that story. Um, so it, it's got, I don't know, maybe like narrative similarities would be a more accurate way of putting it. Um, but the art is really beautiful. Kelly Sue DeConnick is amazing. Uh, and this was after I got into Saga, this actually was the second book that I started reading in comics. And then... Um, Bitch Planet, which I would also recommend, and is also by Kelly Sudokonik. So yeah, go check that out. Pretty Deadly, Volume 1 is called The Shrike. Yes, cosign on Pretty Deadly. I couldn't pick Bitch Planet because Amanda had already picked Pretty Deadly, <laughs> and it would be <laughs> Sorry. like overkill. I mean, Kelly Sudokonik is great, though. Like, y'all should read everything she's worked on. Um, I picked Odyssey, which is spelled O-D-Y dash C. Uh, it's by Matt Fraction and Kristen, Christian Ward, excuse me. And I picked it not because it is a direct comp to Saga, because honestly, there just are not yeah. <laughs> a lot of direct comps to Saga, which is part of what makes it so cool, right? Like, it is sort of a singular uh, comic in in the, you know, in the comics field right now. Um, I hope, hope, hope that we will get more like it. And I think we're, you know, there are some that are getting close. Um, but I was also going on sort of the feel of like oh okay I remember the first time I picked up Saga it also was kind of what got me back into comics as an adult um like what have I read that has that sort of like oh this is just so different and interesting um and that's why I picked Odyssey it is as you might have guessed from the title a retelling of the Odyssey by Homer set in space um in like really like like but like space like acid trip space (laughs) nothing like it's it's very psychedelic um it's and it's like a gender bent retelling so I think almost everybody is female and actually in this weird concept like the Helen character is the only male around like in the whole thing um and there's like weird technology and 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 it's and you know it follows sort of the rough outline of the odyssey which matt fraction is like clearly a super fan of homer um that's a fun thing that i just said a super (laughs) fan of homer um and uh but yeah it's it it's really just bizarre and kind of fascinating and you know the greek gods are there and but they're in space and it's weird and i don't i like don't even really know how to describe it um because that's just how weird it is. I will tell you that it takes a minute to get into the prose style of the comic because he's telling it in a very Homerian way, sort of like a free verse, like repetitive phrases, which if you've read Homer, like you kind of get what's going on there. Um, I don't know. I I don't know that it's for everyone, but I thought it was super interesting because I'm a classics nerd and I've never seen a classic reinterpreted like this. Uh, So I don't know. I thought it it was super fascinating. It's also really interesting to read a gender bent odyssey by a dude. Like mm-hmm. what does that look like? Um, I think it's interesting. Like, I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's very interesting. And Christian Ward is amazing at art. Like, I don't even know the colors and the lines and just the whole style of the book is bananas. Good. So I definitely, definitely, recommend it but it's weird like I'm telling you it's weird straight up so you know give it like maybe get it from the library (laughs) and see if you like it before you dive in any deeper but I think it's worth I think it's worth the time so that is Odyssey uh, by Matt Fraction and Christian Ward all right. Question three is from Heidi, not my cat, who says, my husband's birthday is coming up at the end of June and I would like to gift him a great book. He mostly reads nonfiction, war history or science books. He's a big fan of Jared Diamond. He is a mountaineer, rock and ice climber and a huge outdoor person. So enjoys stories about overcoming huge obstacles. He's read a lot of books about Everest expeditions. And when he wants to read something for fun, he likes Stephen King or James Patterson. I'm going to stop talking. What you got, Amanda? Okay, um, I picked Shark Drunk, The Act of Catching a Large Shark from a Tiny Rumber Dinghy in a Big Ocean by Morton Struxnees, which is an obstacle. <laughs> Let me tell you. Okay, so this, as, as you can tell from the um, subtitle, this is about a dude and his friend who get into a tiny rubber dinghy and then try to catch a Greenland shark. And these are not 
little sharks. So uh, they are like 26 or 27 feet long. They weigh more than a ton. Um, And he has discovered, the author Morton discovered that uh, the meat, when you eat a Greenland shark, it makes you hallucinate. Like it gets you kind of drunk and um, hallucinatory. And so some people will purposefully catch it and eat it for the trippiness of it, um, which is like saying a lot because catching these things is not easy. So he, you know, gets a dinghy and goes out onto into the ocean around the Lofoten Islands in Norway to try to catch one. And the book is so fascinating. Stories of like just these comedic nonsense episodes of him and his friend trying to catch a ton of fish in a dinghy um, using like the side of a cattle the the side of a piece of cattle that like died in a field that they went and scavenged and is like the smell and throwing it out into the water and like dealing with the weather it's just again comedy of errors like it's hilarious so so basically what you're saying is this book is old man and the sea meets three men in a book. Yes, yes. <laughs> but if everyone was drunk all the time. Because <laughs> they are. They're like, they're drunk a lot of the time. Um, and then, but, you know, he weaves that together with like really fascinating science about the Greenland shark and conservation issues surrounding the species of um, not just the Greenland shark, but also other uh, ocean dwelling critters up in like the Arctic Ocean in the very very cold dark water, uh, and then like you know these existential questions. He he talks a lot about like poetry that's written um, from Norwegian authors and history and ecology, and he weaves in stuff about Norwegian mythology. It's just a really well written work of nature writing, but by a drunk dude. <laughs> So like the thoughts and the facts are so great. And then you get you break that up with these really funny episodes of of trying to catch the shark, um, which doesn't ever really happen. Like, I'm not going to spoil it for you because I feel like, you know, whether or not they catch it is kind of spoiler. But you will spend a lot of time being like, why are they still trying? <laughs> like, why are you still out there? This is not going to happen. Um, but yeah, it's it's really funny and thought provoking. So that's Shark Drunk by Morton, uh, Morton Struxnees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> interesting interesting I kind of want to read that now um okay let's see I was trying to fi- I also went with nonfiction. um because like Stephen King and or James Patterson is like such a broad it was hard for me to think of what he might not have read yet um so I went with nonfiction, and I was trying to find one that might have been off his radar and I stumbled across all of these great reviews for Terra Incognita Travels in Antarctica by Sarah Wheeler um which came out in 1996 so it's an older one so like perhaps he has not seen it yet um and it sounds amazing um it is obviously about antarctica um and wheeler went up to spend seven months there um living with all of the like scientists and artists because there's like an artist colony in antarctica i don't know if you knew that um but it is considered a classic of polar literature it was one of seattle times top 10 travel books of the year it got like starred reviews in all of these places um so she's there as a writer in residence and tries to visit as many of the bases across the continent as she can um and so she's like writing up all of the different bases and like what the people who are there like and how they cope with the isolation and the climate um and she like people start to hear that she's doing this project so she gets more invitations um and uh and and she also is weaving in you know some of the history of antarctica and the explorers like um shackleton and scott and all of those folks um she's also doing a lot of nature writing so like talking about the glaciers and the landscape and you know how beautiful but also stark and crazy it is um and she's super into it so like a lot of reviewers talked about how her like just joy and like fascination with antarctica comes through in the writing so I thought this would be a good pick for him. So that's Terra Incognita Travels in Antarctica by Sarah Wheeler. All right. Question four is from Kate, uh, who says, I'm planning to challenge myself this summer on school break. I'm a history professor and read around the world in 80 books. I'm good on Europe, Asia, much of Africa and the Americas, but I'd like some recommendations from Australia slash New Zealand and perhaps a country uh, that isn't usually a common setting or a city that is often ignored by this type of atmospheric fiction or one I may not think of on my own. I'd like the physical setting to play an important part. I really want to experience these places through reading, not just something that could be any city 
comma, world edition. I'd love to get something by authors with an indigenous background. The women and LGBTQ authors are also encouraged. I'd prefer to have authors from the areas I have lived, uh, from the areas or that have lived in them for significant periods of time. Um, For this particular challenge, I'd like fiction. I do like literary fiction, women-centered fiction that is feminist-leaning, and funny historical fiction without too much sexual abuse. I'm tired of my main characters getting sold into sex work and books that center in some way around food and cooking. I also enjoy magical realism okay that's a lot you that's mm. a lot of specifications um so i went with the bone people by carrie home which is a was it uh not sh- oh, won the man booker it's a man booker prize winner in 1985 um carrie home is from new zealand she was born in christchurch and she is of both european and maori descent so she does have an indigenous background and she is from new zealand um and this book is so i'm in the middle of it like literally in the middle of reading The Bone People, and I am obsessed with it. It's it's one of those odd page-turner kind of books where nothing is really happening so much, um, and I, I just love that so much, as all of you know, because I talk about it all the time. Um, so the main character's name is Carolyn. She's a artist. She's a painter um, who is estranged from her family and isn't painting anymore, and she has built herself like a literal tower on the beach in New Zealand where she has, you know, cut herself off from friends and family. She's not, she's, she drinks too much um, and kind of like putters around the beach and goes fishing. Like this is what she's doing with her days. She's got, she's independently wealthy, um, but isn't artistically creating anymore. And then one day, a seemingly like feral child breaks into her house. He's um, this little blonde boy of indeterminate age who doesn't speak, um, who she stumbles upon. Like she comes home from fishing one day and he's in her house and it's, you know, he's um, taking shelter from this rainstorm, but he can't speak and he won't leave. So she, she calls like the um, operator of this tiny little town and the operator tells her who the kid is, that he has a history of doing this, of uh, like running away from his family and breaking into people's homes and kind of stealing stuff usually but he him and carowin the boy whose name is simon bond for reasons that you will read when you or that you will read about in the book um and then the boy's foster father who is also maori his name is joe um comes to the tower to you know thank carowin and try to figure out exactly why Simon is attached to this woman uh, because usually Simon is a, like a lot of trouble and he steals and the people whose houses he break into they don't get along but like Carowin and Simon end up playing chess you know um, and so Carowin gets really wrapped up in Joe and Simon's life um, and then you kind of just follow these three people as they circle each other um, Joe I will say that uh, oh, I should have trigger warning this at the beginning um, that there is child abuse in the book. Joe is physically violent with Simon, uh, his foster child. Um, And there is a lot of cultural conflict happening here because Carowin, the main character, like the author, is part Maori and part European. Joe is Maori. And then the boy is blonde. Nobody knows where he comes from because he doesn't speak and he like survived a shipwreck. So there's a lot of cultural stuff happening, statements about colonization and all of that. But it's really like at its center, the story of three misfits like three people who for whatever reason don't fit into society um and have kind of put themselves out on the fringes and then how they get along or don't get along with each other so and you know major prize winner so yay that's the bone people by carrie home i am also half my halfway through my pick for this and i'm also obsessed (laughs) um it's that dead man dance by kim scott um and scott is a of Noongar ancestry, um, which is an Australian Aboriginal group um, from Western Australia. And this book is about the contact and then like immediately post-contact between the Noongar people and the first European settlers in the 1800s. Um, And Oh, man, like it feels super weird to call a book about colonization delightful, (laughs) but he's such a good writer. Like the prose is so like sprightly and conversational. It is it is a joy to read the words on the Mm. page. Um, It is a joy. Um, And like I said, I'm halfway through. So like I haven't reached any triggering content yet and I didn't see anything in the reviews but like note that I'm not done yet so I could 
have missed something. Um, but where I'm at so far is, uh, so it, the, one of the main characters is a young Noongar boy named Bob, like Bobby is his European name. And he is a child, like a baby when the first of the, they call them the horizon people show up. Um, and his tribe, you know, has this like very, itinerant relationship with the land so like when they come back to the coast you know sometimes there are europeans there sometimes there aren't because europeans haven't settled yet they're just like you know it's like sort of a stop along the way in the exploration and settlement of australia um and then they do start to build a settlement and his uncles are involved in you know as guides um and one of them becomes very close to a doctor who's on the expedition um and uh and um and and you see sort of these original, you know, sort of friendly, like sort of D like lacking in violence interactions before them. Cause the first contact was actually not traumatic initially, but then as you know, they start to settle and the, the Noongar start to understand that like, uh, okay, like they're taking our land and like they object to our you know, land use practices and they're going to interfere with this stuff. You know, things start to get more tense. Um, and, and the book is told in a little bit of a meandering way. And you see Bobby both as like an much older man and then as a boy. Um, and so you, you are basically looking at this very specific interaction over the course of this one person's life. Um, and so, yeah. And like, obviously, you know, things go badly because that is historically what happened. Like things <laughs> got real bad. Like the Europeans tried to inf like impose all of these regulations and the elders decided that they had to respond. And, you know, so, and it got very complicated for the um, folks who were originally like guides and maybe became friends with the Europeans in certain situations. Um, and Scott is also switching narratives around, like a lot of the stories specifically concerned with Bobby. But you also get, you know, third person POV from some of the other tribal folks and some of the Europeans. You know, one of them is a, a convict who's like finishing up his time. Um, it's very interesting. It's super well written. And it is just like I am just obsessed with it right now. Um, it is real, real good. So uh, that again is That Dead Man Dance by Kim Scott. And it is time for the next sponsor, which is We Are Gathered by Jamie Weissman, published by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Um, and this is a wedding novel, which I feel like is appropriate because it is wedding season right mm. now. I don't know about y'all, but like it seems like everybody's getting married. Um, and this is a debut novel um, that is characterized by both humor and sorrow. It's the story of an interfaith wedding from the perspective of its guests who are variously adoring or envious or resentful or hilarious. Um, it takes place in Atlanta, and like I said, it's an interfaith wedding. Um, it's about, uh, you know, different people coming together across both religious and family lines. Um, it's about Judaism, and it is one of those books where you will end up playing like, oh, which of these wedding guests would I be? So if you are needing a book to get you through wedding season or you love these kinds of novels, you definitely want to have this on your radar. Again, that is We Are Gathered by Jamie Weissman. Thanks for sponsoring the show. Okay. And our next question is from Jessica, who says, I've recently started reading more romance novels and noticed that most of what I read has featured men who align with pretty normative ideas of masculinity. I don't mean to say that this is inherently bad or that the books or characters are misogynistic. Um, and we almost always get to see a softer side to these men. It's just that the men aren't usually shown as soft from the get-go, if that makes sense. I was wondering if y'all could recommend any adult romance novels that feature men who exhibit gentleness as a prominent feature of their personality. I tend to read historical romance, but will be happy to take any recommendations. I've been talking for a really long time. Amanda. Um, I took this question maybe a little bit too literally. <laughs> um, and I picked Bound to be a Groom by Megan Mulry, which features a male submissive. So gentleness abounds. Um, it takes place in 1808. And it's the well, you've got four main characters, really, because the book is about a four, like a polyamorous relationship between four people. Um, but your first POV character is Anna, who is living in a Spanish convent. And she's decided that in order to 
um, have the life she wants, which is where she can leave the convent with her lover, Pia, and be, you know, independently wealthy together without being interfered with or, you know, living in a convent. What she needs to do is become a courtesan and save up her money. And then she and Pia can run off and, you know, live their lives. So she goes out, Anna goes out into the world and meets Sebastian, who appears to be this like very confident aristocrat. Um, he's looking for a wife and he's got a lot of money. So here we go. This is what we're mercenary goal set. So <laughs> Anna kind of like decides that she he's going to be the one who, uh, you know, lets her live this life. But in her pursuit of him, she realizes that he is a submissive and that Anna, her, Anna herself already knew that she had this kind of dominant sexual side to her. Um, so she actually develops feelings for him. And but she still loves Pia, who is back in the convent. Uh, and so she takes, her and Sebastian do get married, and he is, like, super cool with this setup. Like, he's 100% fine with allowing Anna to do what she wants. He knows about Pia and is cool with it. Um, he just kind of wants to, like, be along for the ride. He also has feelings for Anna, and he just wants, like, the three of them to live, you know, kind of happily ever after with his money. Um, so they go back to the convent, and they get Pia, who at first is maybe understandably, like, I'm sorry, who is this dude? <laughs> and what, what, what's happening here? Um, and then their romance continues. And then a fourth character is introduced, who is a, a longtime childhood friend of Sebastian's, um, who is not gentle in any way way if you get my meaning. But Sebastian is. He's a, he's a lovely character. And he does have, I mean, when you're introduced to him, he does have a bit of that, like, I'm an aristocrat and don't you want to punch me sort of a thing going on. But it's very short-lived. Anna takes him down several notches pretty much immediately. Um, and from then on, he's just a, a very caring and nice um, dude who is also likes to be tied up a lot. <laughs> Lots of gentleness happening from Sebastian. Um, I will say that this is erotica. This is not a romance novel. So if you're looking for lots of plot, a little bit of sexy times, this is the inverse of that. So yes. just, you know, consider yourself warned. All right. So that is Bound to be a Groom by Megan Mulry. Five alarm steamy. So much. Explicit. Like, <laughs> like, wow. are they doing this again? Really? So I quickly? <laughs> they have a lot of sex. They do. Uh, <laughs> that's a fun book, though. I really liked that one. Well, there's so many people. So, you yeah. know, you get a break, I imagine. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> right. There's alternating happening. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Um, the thing, if you're looking for a way to search for this otherwise, other than our recommendations, Jessica, beta males is the phrase that you want. Um, I'm going to leave a link in the show notes to a post from a little while back that has 101 beta heroes. Um, so you will find lots to love there. But I wanted to talk about a contemporary that I just read really recently. And I am just so in love with this author's work. It's amazing. It's A Girl Like Her by Talia Hibbert. And she is a, a black author. And the main character of this book is um, a young woman named Ruth who is also black. Um, it takes place in a tiny town in England. And Ruth is also neurodivergent. Um, I can't remember if it's, I think it's explicitly said that she's on the autism spectrum, um, which the author also is. So that's, you know, own voices, double, double whammy. Um, and Ruth has a reputation in the town. That's like what the title is about a girl like her. Um, and it's not a good one. Um, and she like refuses to engage with anyone over how this reputation came to be. Um, and is just basically like holed up in her apartment doing her job, which is to create web comics. She creates like these really amazing web comics. Um, and like, she's fine. She lives alone. She doesn't need people. You know, she sees her sister every now and then. Um, but otherwise she's pretty isolated and she's like, it's fine. This is what I'm doing. Other people are just the worst. I don't want to deal with anybody uh, for, for valid reasons. And then a newcomer to the town, Evan Miller, shows up. Um, he is a military veteran. And he just wants, like, a quiet life. And he's a blacksmith, because of course he is. And he gets a job at the local, like, blacksmithery or whatever. Um, and he ends up being Ruth's next-door neighbor. Um, and he kind of assumes from, like, like the walls in this apartment are really thin, which is the thing I have experienced, too, so I, I know this feeling. Um, and he, he kind of expects from, like, what he's heard of his neighbor that it's, like, some elderly shut-in. And he's, like, he's he is such a gentle soul. Like, he is a caretaker from the word go. Like, you find out about, a lot about his backstory and why he is that way. 
but it is perfectly consistent with his character. He's like, oh, this is like some person who doesn't get out much and is maybe like old and I'll make them some food. I'll make them a lasagna and take it over there and introduce myself because he is the cinnamon roll of cinnamon rolls. And so he's super startled when this like young, attractive woman opens the door and is like, what do you want? And he's like, I made you food. And she's like, mm, yeah, I don't have an oven. Like, she's just like, I don't need your food. Go away. Um, and instead of being insulted or offended, he's just kind of intrigued. Like, he appreciates that she's a straight talker. He's not he's not taking it personal. He's like, oh, I wonder what the deal is here. But like, also, no, really, like, take I made you a lasagna. Like, take the lasagna. <laughs> Um, and as their story unfolds, you start to find more about Ruth's backstory. She had a very emotionally manipulative, like gaslighting relationship with another guy in town. Um, it's like super not good relationship. Um, and, uh, and, and like, what's interesting is that Evan, I mean, he kind of like wants to, you know, beat the stuffing out of this other guy but like what happens is not that typical like male posturing like he definitely asserts himself in situations where he feels like that's appropriate but he also comes to understand that like his job is to support Ruth in whatever way she wants him to and in handling this and it's just great it's just great like I could not have loved this romance novel more. Um, it's really, really good. Uh, so yes, that is A Girl Like Her by Talia Hibbert. All right, question six is from Emily who says, I'm looking for a good audiobook while, audiobook while I'm in public transportation. I've tried some audiobooks and only a few were able to keep me active. I realize that most of it is because of the narrator. Some heavy British accents just make me sleepy. I love fantasy, but I prefer to read it instead of listen to it. I realize that I prefer shorter standalone audiobooks because they tend to have a faster pace. Some examples of audiobooks I've loved, Ready Player One and A Monster Calls by Patrick Ness. Some other examples of books I loved last year, The Hate You Give and The Night Circus. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, I went with Zero Boxer by Fonda Lee, which I listened to on audiobook and is the opposite of a heavy British accent. This dude has a voice like a like a like a boxing coach, like exactly how you would expect a boxing coach to sound, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, this is a YA novel about uh, a boy named Carr who is a zero boxing not champion at the beginning. He's like a newbie, like a rookie. And zero boxing in this universe is zero gravity boxing. So this is, you know, near future. Earth is kind of like a poor, polluted kind of place. Martians, uh, Martians, Mars has been colonized. um, And people have, it's been long enough into the future that it's been colonized and people have like grown up there um, and have changed a little bit physically, like they're a little bit taller, stuff like that. Um, And the moon is a colony. So you know, space is happening. And zero boxing is the, space is happening. Zero boxing is the new big sporting thing. Um, And Carr starts off as a rookie and he quickly becomes um, not a rookie. Like he starts beating, he starts winning, like winning really impressive fights. Um, His, the, the zero gravity fighting association assigns him a, what they call a brand helm, which is like a personal marketing person who is a Martian and they develop a romance. Um, But then Carr, as he, as his like star continues to rise and the people on earth where he's from um, get this, you know, kind of like a worshipful thing that people get around um, celebrities, sports people who've like come from their neighborhoods as that all starts to develop, Carr discovers this really heartbreaking secret about himself. And then he has to decide what he's going to do with it. It's going to affect his career. It's going to affect his his romance with this woman that he's fallen in love with, all of these things. Um, it is science fiction and it's a pretty short audiobook. I think it was seven or eight hours when I read it, um, but it is standalone and it's super fast paced. Like I honestly did not expect to care about a YA novel about a dude and about sports like those neither of those things are what I would usually pick up but Fonda Lee I love and I trust you know her writing so I went with it and it was so much fun and it really is considering these you know big like I can't tell you what it's like the big ethical questions it's considering because that's actually kind of a spoiler um but you were like rooting for this kid like such an underdog um from you know page one and the world building is really great the way that she interweaves politics between the the martian community and the people who were born on earth is really fascinating it's just a great it's a great audiobook and the yeah the 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 narrator has this voice like a 
boxing coach, sports announcer, like really deep kind of, and you just kind of get it. You, you're into it. It's it's so immersive. And the narration makes it that much more so. So that's Zero Boxer by Fonda Lee. I picked a mystery for you because I was trying to think of like things that are fast paced and shorter. And um, this was verified by one of our rioters um, in a post about short, fast paced audiobooks. So I felt pretty confident recommending it. Um, the audiobook is a little over nine hours, so that's not too bad. Um, and it is Bluebird, Bluebird by Attica Locke. Uh, it is technically the first book in a series, but I don't even think the second one is out yet. So it is, for all intents and purposes, a standalone. Um, it it takes place in East Texas, and the main character, Darren Matthews, is a black Texas ranger, um, and, you know, he has some, like, deep-seated issues about growing up black in the Lone Star State, because that can't have been easy, um, and he, like, left home and got as far away as he could, and then gets sort of called back home um, for reasons, and so he ends up investigating two murders um, in this tiny town, uh, a black lawyer from Chicago and a local white woman, and everybody is all stirred up, and, like, there's a lot of competing theories about what happened, everybody real angry about it um and so he has to try to solve the crimes before like things get dramatically worse um and attica lock is amazing i love her mysteries they're really smart they're, the characters are always really interesting and she just does such a great job um she's also been a writer for the tv show empire so like this woman knows from pacing like she can do it uh so that again is bluebird bluebird by attica lock and the last question is from Amanda, who says, I recently started getting serious with a pretty fantastic guy. The thing is, he has two kids, seven and nine, and I'm a little freaked out about the prospect of being a stepmom. Do you have any book recommendations about navigating this territory? I'm good with fiction or nonfiction, any genres. Bonus if there's some diversity in the picks, as his kids are biracial and we are an interracial couple as well. Amanda. Okay, I went with Step Monster. A new look at why real stepmothers think, feel, and act the way we do by Wednesday Martin. And I, I went to the contributors for a recommendation for this one, and I failed to note down who recommended it to me, so I apologize for that. Um, but this book was come, came recommended as like an actual, honest, not necessarily guide, but look at what the experience of being a stepmother is like and the pressures that we put on stepmothers in particular that we don't necessarily put on stepfathers. So there's this, you know, and I'm sure as you are getting more involved with this guy and considering getting more and more serious, you might start feeling this pressure of like stepmothers have to automatically love their stepchildren, um, you know, and bond. And if you don't, then it, if you don't bond, then it's your fault. You know, just you have to treat them like love them like you love your own kind of a thing. But this is a book that like gives you permission to not do that, right? Like you did not give birth to these children. You don't know them necessarily. Um, they have personalities outside of yours. You didn't raise them. Um, they might have manners you don't understand they might have you know thoughts they don't understand and they're dealing with their own issues of like you know having a new person come into their family so this idea that we put on stepmothers to to automatically love their stepchildren as if they were their own children is is kind of nonsense right it's a little bit it's a little bit nonsensical um and this uh book really gives you that like that's cool like you are totally allowed to take your time you don't automatically love your husband's your new husband's parents like you love your parents so why should you automatically love his children as if they were your children that doesn't make any sense it takes time to form bonds with people you don't know and just because you you know put a ring on it doesn't mean that you don't get to take your time developing love for these kids that you now have in your like in your house <laughs> or in your life um so i think that I, it's just uh, man sexism <laughs> that's how i feel about it. you know like we don't have these problems with stepfathers. Nobody expects stepfathers to step in and immediately love kids like they're their own and to, you know, get over that like Cinderella evil stepmother kind of thing. We don't have those expectations of men when they marry women who already have children, but we do have them of women. Um, so I think any book that's going to give you permission to take your time um, and to feel how you're going to feel. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. Feelings aren't facts. So like taking your time, getting to know the kids, doing the best that you can, but maybe realizing that like, you might not ever get to a point where you feel like you love them like you would or do love your own biological children, but that's okay because families come, you know, in all kinds of varieties and packages. Um, it's really just a permission giver, which I think is the biggest thing we need to give stepmothers. So highly recommended. Um, very well reviewed. Also, I did go back and read the reviews to make sure it wasn't like 
putting more pressure on yeah. women to feel a certain way. Um, but it's not. So that's Step Monster by Wednesday Martin. I have a novel for you. I'm sorry that I couldn't find you an interracial one. Um, the novel also came from a recommendation from contributors because this is not my area of expertise. Um, and it came from Jessica and it is Love and Other Impossible Pursuits by Ayelet Waldman. Um, the book comes with a trigger warning for miscarriage. Um, it's not part of the plot that I'm going to talk about though. And so this is about a woman named Amelia who has like fallen hard for this man. Um, and then, you know, she meets his five-year-old son, William, who is her new stepson. And she is not super prepared <laughs> for dealing with him. Um, she is one of those sort of like classic unlikable female characters. Like she's snarky and sarcastic and she's like very little patience for other people. Um, and he is like very sheltered and neurotic. And so now she's having to like, you know, like find the exact right cupcakes and he's correcting her French pronunciation and she's just like, oh, like not having a good time with it. Um, and so this is definitely about a woman who's like really struggling to fulfill the role of stepmom in a way that will ever work for her. Um, and as the book goes along, like a lot of reviewers were like, oh yeah, I had a really hard time with her in the beginning, but like she really matures over the course of the book um, and like it really like takes a different turn. And so it's definitely one of those books that reward you for sticking with it because, you know, the people and it don't stay static. Um, there is like a growth and change, which is super important. Um in these kinds of books. And yeah, it is. It's a flawed stepmother story. And I mean, probably your situation will not be anything like the situation of this woman. Um, but I think, again, like Amanda said, like it's important to have permission to like not be sure how to do it and like mm -hmm. to potentially mess up and, you know, still remember that that's okay. Like we all mess up all the time. Like, biological parents mess up all the time too and it's a process it's a journey and and that's what this book is about is this one woman's journey um to become a stepmother and like how that went for her <laughs> spoiler not great um <laughs> so again that is love and other impossible pursuits by Ayala waldman and that's our show huzzah Yay! Um, with minimal pet interruptions. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. Um, if you have a chance to leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, please do. It helps other folks to find the show, and we always like to see the feedback. Thank you today's sponsors for helping to make the show possible. You can find me on social media on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that is Jen with two N's. And I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And we will talk to you next time. <laughs>